Matthew chapter 16. Chapter 16. Verse 18. And I say also unto thee, thou that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Look at Psalm chapter 84. Psalm 84. Allow me to read a little bit of scripture before we begin. Psalm 84. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Becca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. <clears throat> Excuse me. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of, my, of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in Thee. Upon this rock I shall build my church. Psalm 87. Psalm 87. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of Thee, O city of God. Selah. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyra, Ethiopia, this man was born there. And of Zion it shall be said, this and that man was born in her. And the highest himself shall establish her. The Lord shall count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there. Selah. As well the singers as the players on instruments shall be there. All my springs are in thee. Psalm 122. Upon this rock I will build my church. Psalm 122. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Builded. Is builded. I will build. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, under the testimony of Israel, to give thanks under the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. And upon this rock... I will build my church. If you're here this morning without the Lord Jesus Christ, 
let me tell you that you find yourself in the company of special people. God's people. His elect. When you hear Scripture speaking about the church, what comes to mind? Is it merely a place of mortar and brick where people gather together to worship? Is it merely a called out group of people who get together somewhere that they might lift up their praises? What do you think about God's church? What's the first thing that comes to mind? All these passages of Scripture have a few things in common, one of which is God's great love for His church. For His church. And the second is, those that know God love the church. Have you ever really stopped to consider, seriously consider and meditate upon these words of Christ in Matthew chapter 16. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That Christ says He would build His church That God who sovereignly and in His perfect wisdom and knowledge would create the universe simply by speaking them into creation out of nothing is a marvelous thing. Almost every night I stand in my backyard and I gaze up at the stars and I think about God's goodness and grace and sovereignty and majesty. The same stars I see at night are the same stars David saw. The same stars that Abraham saw when God promised him a seed. The universe is greatly magnificent. Creation displays the glory of God. Yet when it comes to His church... Christ declares, I'll not create it, but I'm going to build it. Build it. In the building of His church, He would use or exercise the greatest intimacy, love, and care in her destruction. I'm going to build my church. I'm not going to create it. We are created in Christ Jesus, yes. But here he says, I'm going to build my church. Not create it. I'm going to build it. The very foundation being that of the sacrifice of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. That's the foundation that He's going to build His church on. Creation cost God nothing. He merely spoke it into existence. It didn't cost Him anything. Yet listen to me, because I really want you to question your love for the church. I'm afraid that so many people of God today have lost that love for the church. Not for basically the people that inhabit it, which is necessary as well, 
but for God who dwells in it. It's His church. Think about the price that God gave to purchase His church. And then look at the countless divisions and schisms amongst God's people that should tear our hearts apart. If God loves the church that much, should not we love the church? Creation cost Him nothing. Yet for the building of His church, it would cost Him His only begotten Son. That is a great price. If the heavens declare the glory of God, listen to me. Psalm 19, if the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork, how much glorious, more glorious, that which Christ Himself would build. Think about that for a minute. I think we've lost the art of meditation in this world of hectic and chaos. Stop and think and meditate on the Word of God. Let it... Take, care, take hold of your entire thoughts and your heart. Christ would build His church. Now if God can create something as beautiful and majestic and glorious as the creation, and it is wonderful, take time to stop and look at the stars sometime. <laughs> Where does it stop? You think, what's beyond that star? What's beyond that star? What could... God, this is, there's just so many of the stars, and I have lights around here. I have problems seeing all of them. Can you imagine? I believe that when God showed Abraham all the stars in heaven, He let them see the stars like no man has ever seen before. Almost every single one of them. If He allowed Moses to see the land, the entire promised land from a hill, I'm, I'm sure Abraham saw so many stars, he was just awestruck. Look at the rising of the sun. Look at the setting of it. Do you stop sometimes as God's people to admire the creation of God that declares His glory? Do you stop sometimes to, to humbly admire it and worship and praise God for His own creation? Creation worships Him. Look at Romans chapter 8. They groaneth, the Bible says. God's creation is wonderful. Ever been to the Grand Canyon? The Swiss Alps? God's creation was wonderful, yet Christ said, I'm not going to create my church, I'm going to build it. If God can create something that wonderful, imagine what He can build. Let's stop there for a moment. God created the universe out of nothing. How does Christ build His church? Not from precious stones or gold. Not with worthy, wise, mighty, even noble things. But with the weak and base things of the world. Things which are despised and things which are not. That's what Christ uses to build His church. Who's Paul th talking about in 1 Corinthians? His people. Consider your calling, dearly beloved. That's what Christ would use to build His church. 
Are you listening this morning? That's what Christ uses to build his church. His redeemed. That are of themselves nothing. They're not worthy. They're not beautiful. Yet Christ would make them so. Truly, the building of his church greatly surpasses the glory seen and declared in his creation. Let me say that again so that you might take a moment to think about that. Surely, the building of his church greatly surpasses the glory seen and declared in his creation. For in creation, the Son of God created. Yet, for the building of his church, he sacrificed himself. I'm talking about the church today. Like I said in the beginning, if you're here this morning without Christ, you are in the assembly. You are in the midst of a peculiar people, a strange people, a people beloved of God. Do you know that? We have fellowship with the almighty living God and you don't. That should drive you to envy and to Christ. If God should come back today, we shall be taken into his presence the very second, the very moment our heart stops and you shall be carried into hell. You are in a special group of people this morning because you're amongst the elect of God, his church. And as we lift up those praises like we did this morning to God and singing his praises, singing the Psalms, we are giving God honor and glory. Something that you're a stranger to, something you know nothing of. You know not God. And that breaks my heart. We're not special of ourselves. But we're special because of Christ. He loves us. And he cares for us. And he protects us. And he redeemed us. He will save us from the grave and from sin. You are amongst peculiar people this morning as we lift up praises to God. Glorious things of the earth spoken, Zion city of our God. Do you see the church in that same light? Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I know we look at the condition of the church today and many people spend more time complaining and grumbling about the situation of the church. I, I think we need to go back to Matthew 16 and pay close attention with our Lord saying the Lord loves his church. You say, wait a minute, the church has made so many mistakes. Don't forget how and with what God builds his church with. They call the follower of Trump's deplorables. We're deplorables in ourselves. If God could still love them, the ones we are in disagreement with, if God can still love them who are not on the same page all the time doctrinally, and I don't mean the essentials, if God can still love them, why can't we? Why do we choose who we fellowship with and who we worship with? Why do we think that we have the ability to choose which of God's people we will worship with? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about heresy or apostasy. 
One verse I pondered this week that kind of set me back a little bit is twice actually. One time when the disciples said, shall we call down fire from heaven to destroy these people? And Christ said, you know not what spirit you are. And then the other one says, those people over there are preaching you, but they're not following us. Christ said, leave them alone. If they're not against us, then they're for us. We always think our theology has to make sense <laughs> to us. There's some things about God and doctrine doesn't make sense. And when we try to put it in our little box of theology, beloved, we're exhorting ourselves over the Word of God. It's God's church. And you know what? Every stone, every, every individual that He calls into His church, they're not all the same. We're different. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken, formed thee for his own abode on the rock of ages founded. What can shake thy sure repose with salvation walls surrounded? <laughs> this cannot be said about creation. Though they declare his glory, and handiwork day by day and night by night. This cannot be said about creation, but it is said about His church. It's Christ's church. He's the builder of it. He's the maker of it. He's the sustainer of it. He's the keeper of it. And we're built upon Him. It's His church. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Ever wonder why it talks about the gates even in Psalm 100? Remember that? Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Why does it say plural, gates and courts? Because it's more than one. We live in an age, day and age today, where Christians are thinking too individual. They're mavericks. They're separating themselves from the church saying, I don't need the church. I'm telling you, it's Christ's church. He talks about the church. He doesn't say, I will build my Christian. He said, I will build my church. You know why it's gates? You know why it's courts? And it says, God loveth the gates of Zion. Why the gates of Zion? Well, because when the children of Israel come into Zion or the city of God to worship, they would throng the very gates of Zion. Multitudes of people rejoicing and looking forward to singing praise unto God. Like the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up into the, let us go up into the house. God would see that and God said, I delight in seeing my people throng the house of God with praises Should not we then also love the gates of Zion? Why is it that we think that everybody, like our dear brother says a few times, why do we think that everybody's got to have their T's crossed and their I's dotted the same way we do? And again, I'm not saying false doctrine. There are some that are yet blind. They don't know. They're ignorant. They don't know the truth of God. That they're still the children of God. They're just ignorant of the thing. Maybe they haven't been taught. Maybe the things. But we're, we, we've, we've entered into a generation to where we only fellowship with those who are eye to eye with us in everything. I wonder what Christ thought when he looked at just the 12 disciples. Oh, there's Peter. Boy, his mouth gets him in more trouble than I can think. There's old doubting Thomas. He doubts us. He's not around when he's supposed to be. There's old John and his brother James, previously called sons of thunder because they wanted to call down fire from heaven and kill people who didn't do the things right. 
the way they thought. Here I have all these disciples with all their faults, with all their failures, and yet the Lord says that He loved them to the end. John 3, He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Again, don't misunderstand me. We are to contend for the faith which was once given unto the, unto the saints. We are to maintain and keep the truth. We are not to compromise the truth of God. But try as hard as impossible as it is to put yourselves in Christ's shoes when He builds His church. What is He building with? He's God. you imagine what He's seeing in all of us? Oh, look at all these weaknesses and failures. Look at all these infirmities. But God says, I'm still going to build my church with you. It's amazing when you think about it. The church is an amazing, amazing thing. Not simply because Christ Himself builds it, but because Christ is the one who makes it amazing. Now, we might not be united in all our opinions, but we are united as God's people in one thing, and that's the most important. You know what that is? Christ. I love thy church, O Lord. The old hymn says, For saints before you stand, dear as the apple of your eye, engraven on your hand. I love thy church, O Lord. Yet, to look around God's church today, one might wonder of what glories there are to be spoken of. Right? Run asunder by countless divisions and schisms, party spirits, and the absence of brotherly love and unity? What glory is there to be spoken of the church in this generation? Has her glory been made dimmed or obscured by her many weaknesses and infirmities? Are we able to hinder, stop, or even corrupt Christ's building of His church? Of course not. Is it possible that the gates of hell are prevailing against her? Surely not, because Christ said in the same text, in the same breath, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Why do you say that? Because they're going to try. Let me tell you something. The Christian life is one of constant spiritual battles. You know that? It's never ending. This is the militant church here on earth. Not the resting church in heaven. It's the militant church. We're always aware as God's people that there's a spiritual battle going on. And we seem to forget it's spiritual. That's emphasized not long after Christ said this to Peter because Peter's the one that said, oh no, you're not going to do that. And the Lord rebuked Satan through Peter. But... Preacher Peter said the words, yes, but it was a spiritual battle. Satan was influencing Peter. So the Lord spoke to Satan through Peter because he was using Peter as an instrument. Did Christ then say, well, Peter, I guess that's it. You're no more along with my disciples. Satan has used you. I can't have nothing to do with you. You're gone. See you later. He didn't do that. even though that wouldn't be Peter's first encounter with Satan, would it? Later on, Satan would seek to sift Peter. Oh, surely now Christ has the best opportunity to just separate and have no fellowship with him. 
He's not only been used by Satan here to stand in front of Christ and say, you can't go to the cross. That's how he's going to build his church. Because he, right after that, he said he began, there's when he began to speak about him going and dying and being sacrificed. That's how he's going to build his church. And Peter said, no, 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 you're not going to build your church like that, not by your sacrifice. He said, oh, wait a minute, gates of hell are already trying to prevail against me building my church. Get thee behind me, Satan. Most churches would have excommunicated Peter on the spot. If not then, later on when he denied him three times, we can't do nothing without heretic. And yet, why do we separate ourselves from one another? Think about that. Why do we separate ourselves from one another? Petty little things that make no sense. Aren't you glad we're not building this church? Because if we did, you know what we'd find out? We'd be awful lonely because we'd be all by ourselves. <laughs> we wouldn't get along with nobody. Christ bore with their weaknesses and their infirmities. Are we not also told the same thing? Bear one another's burdens. Ye that are strong in the faith, receive those uh, who are weak, yet not to doubtful disputations. Isn't that the kind of spirit we're supposed to have as God's church? Not everybody understands. Not everybody's been blessed with the knowledge that we have. I say that. I hope and pray you understand not in pride. But isn't that how sometimes Christians act? Well, look, well, I've learned about God. I've learned all these things about God. Therefore, I can't have fellowship with these other people that have a lower knowledge of God. Good thing you're not building a church. Good thing I'm not building a church, is it? We'd be all alone. The glorious things spoken of the city or the church of God are not because of their, her inhabitants. Glorious things of thee are spoken not because of the inhabitants, okay, but because God, who is in the midst of her, that's the glories of God's in the midst of her. You see, we we don't we don't look at one another so much as we do who's in the midst which is God. He's the one that brings glory to the church, not us, not our talents, not our gifts. He's the one that brings glory into the church. The glories are spoken because of God, not because of us. We seem to lose sight of that. Psalm 46 said, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. God is in the midst of her. That's what makes the church glorious. What would happen, would you think, if God removed His presence from the church? She wouldn't be glorious anymore, would she? Three things concerning this text that Christ would have us understand, of, of which I'll only speak of one this morning due to time. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Let us read this again. Three things. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Three things I believe Christ would have us to understand in these words. First, he says, I want you to understand the foundation of me building the church is divine. 
I'm building it on a rock. Upon this rock, not Peter, who's a pebble. Like the Catholics profess this is Peter. It's not Peter. He's talking about himself. On this rock, he says, you need to understand that the building of my church is founded upon a rock. And that rock is me. It's founded on me. Everything that I am, Christ says. Everything that I've obtained for you. My entire perfections, who I am, everything's built on this rock that cannot be moved. Secondly, he says, not only is it founded on the rock, but I'm the one that's going to build it. Not you, not me, not angels. I will build it. I will choose the lively stones, how I want to build my church. Not you. And thirdly, and lastly, it's my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, I could probably stop right there. We could take all these three points home, meditate on them, think about them, read Scripture, Psalm 84, 87, 122, Psalm 46, Matthew chapter 16, Ephesians about the church. We could read all Philippians. We could read all those verses. And we should come back next week going, you know what? The church of God is a glorious thing. He said, it's my church. And you know what? Christ loves His church. Well, how much, preacher? Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for. That's how much He loves the church. We know we love God when we are prepared to lay down our lives for the brethren. A new commandment I give unto you, Love one another as I have loved thee. The world shall then know that you're my disciples. We know those that are born of God love those who are born of Him. Why do you think in Psalm 122 the psalmist says three times in that prays for peace? Why, should it, why does he pray for peace? Because sometimes peace amongst God's people are the hardest thing to be preserved and kept. He prays three times. Pray for the peace of Jews. They shall prosper that what? that love thee, that love thee. You want to prosper? Love the church. I'm not saying love everything about their opinions and agree with everything they agree in. I'm not saying uh, embrace false doctrine, but I'm saying love the church for Christ's sake. You know, we'd be much more help to others if we would open ourselves to that. But we've got such party spirits now that we just have a hard time fellowshipping with anybody that differs from our opinion. Christ never did that. not how he builds his church. First one, upon this rock I will build my church. Upon this rock. Christ would have us understand that building, the building of his church is not built on any rock but himself. He is the rock upon which he builds the church. Peter, I'm telling you and everyone else upon this rock, not you but me, me being the rock, I'm going to build my church. Now you need to understand that and I need to understand it that the rock, the foundation upon which Christ built is divine and sovereign and immovable. On the rock of ages founded what can shake thy sure repose. Listen to these words. 
On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. Listen to those words. What can shake her? The gates of hell shall not prevail. She shall not be moved. Do you notice all those words? It's as though Christ is saying there's going to be great opposition against this foundation, but it's not going to work. Listen to me. Let us not be surprised that the church suffers a lot of opposition and afflictions from the world, Satan, and even false brethren. Christ said it's going to happen. What can shake her? The gates of hell shall not prevail. She shall not be moved. They all implied that there's going to be great opposition against this rock. Against this rock. But it also proves just how secure and sure his foundation, the rock upon which he builds his church, is truly sure. They shall not shake her. The gates of hell shall not prevail against her. She shall not be moved. Now think about those oppositions. Christ says even though they come, and they will come, and they do come, and they have come. Because I'm building my church on this rock. I'm excited to just understand that Christ, when He says He's built His church, just doesn't say, I'm going to build my church. He said, no, I want you to understand, upon this rock. He emphasized, upon this rock. Why? Because you're going to face a lot of opposition. I'm going to face a lot of opposition in building my church. And like I said, immediately after this, we see that in Peter. Satan didn't waste no time saying, okay, you want me, want me to see what this is? I'll prevail against it, and I'll prevail against it from not from the outside, but from Peter. I'll come on the inside. Christ says, no, uh, you're not going to prevail against my church, even if you come from the inside. Beloved, I wish not to join the long line of critics and pessimists who spend most of their time complaining and grumbling over the sad condition of God's church as though its builder, Christ, is failing. Or that he lacks the power to keep building it. Yet never gives you encouragement about Christ building his church. He will build his church. And he'll continue to build his church in spite of all these oppositions. Uwe, Horst, Carolyn, Roger, Dave, Marianne, Lee, Stan, Guy, Steve. You say, what is that? That's names that cover a period of over 40 years, two continents and many states. Who are they? I believe they're the Church of God. People I've come to know, brethren and sisters I've come to know, some converted under a ministry, the what? The Church of God. Where are they? They're scattered around the world. They're in Germany. They're in England. They're in Belgium. Some's in Switzerland. All over the states. Church of God. He's building. Continues to build. You could probably name quite a few names too. Scripture is very clear that in the building of his church, she shall face countless oppositions and attacks from both within and without. 
Yet, beloved, because it is built upon a divine and unshakable rock, it shall not be moved. Christ would have us understand that. It's built upon a rock. Let them come. Remember when the Lord talked about building a house on a rock? And the one on sand? He said, the house built on a rock, the winds came. I mean, both houses experienced wind and waves and rages and storms. Both of them did. The one fell, but the other one stood. Why? Not because the house was strong, but because the foundation was firm. My anchor holds, my anchor holds, though the mighty winds may blow. It's an anchor. You know what an anchor is? An anchor is something they throw of a ship. You don't see the anchor. You might see the ship going back and forth, tossed to and fro with waves. But I'm telling you, if that anchor is down underneath that water, just holding on, that ship might blow back and forth and back and forth. But with a strong anchor, she's not going anywhere. She might move around a little bit. Don't you get that sense as a Christian sometimes? How your world feels like it's all crumbling in, but somehow in your heart and your mind, you have that sense of security and strength and comfort and peace with God. The church is one foundation, the song or the hymn that we sang. The original has two more verses. It's not in our hymn book. And they are, though with scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed by schisms rent asunder by heresies distressed, yet saints their watch are keeping, their cries go up how long, and soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. The church shall never perish. Her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her and false sons in her pale against the foe or traitor, she ever shall prevail. How true that is. Why? Christ is building it upon a rock. Upon this rock I will build my church. He is the rock. He alone, and listen carefully, He alone bears our weight and all our concerns. He's not just there and solid against all these oppositions, but He bears our weights and our concerns. He is our refuge, our strength, a very present help in time of need. Look over in Isaiah chapter 32. Follow with me. As we wind this down, I want you to see this Isaiah 32. It's built on a rock. Isaiah 32, verses 1 and 2. Listen to the word of God. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. And a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind, and a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Great rock in a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary. He's the rock. He bears us, our weights and our concerns, our burdens and our cares. He's our rock. Let me give you some more wondrous examples of him being our rock. Psalm 61.2 says, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. To the rock. 
Scripture loves declaring God as a rock. Not just something that's stable to stand on, not strength and security and safety, but also comfort and assurance. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Psalm 27, 5 says, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. That's the church. Tell me you don't need the church. You know how many times God has helped us in the tabernacle? You know how many times over the last 40 some odd years when I went to church, God gave me the answer I was looking for? It's in the church. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. Psalm 62 verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense and I shall not be greatly moved. <laughs> is Jesus your rock? You say, but preacher, the storms are raging and sometimes the wind howls terribly. And sometimes my heart gets fearful and afraid. Remember the rock upon which he's built you as his church. And if you have hard times remembering that when you're alone out in the world through the week, when you come into the house of God assembled with the saints, I'm telling you, it's upon that rock we lift up our praises and our hymns and our songs and our prayers, and that rock becomes our solid rock. You see, this we're blessed and privileged to be here today. Do you know that? The world's rushing by. They're on the, they're on the Broadway to hell. You know what we're doing this morning? We're stopping. We're stopping everything we do to give time unto God. We've dedicated this time to worship God. We are a peculiar and special people. This is a precious time for God's people. We gather together to encourage one another in prayer and in psalms and in hymns and in preaching. And we leave here saying, what a mighty rock we have in Christ. Amen. You are a peculiar, special people. Do you know that? If you're here this morning and you're saved and you know Christ, you are God's peculiar treasure. Never forget that. Cry out with the psalmist. He shall set me upon a rock. He is my rock and my salvation. We're in Psalm 71. Psalm 71. Listen to the psalmist here again, David. In thee, O Lord, verse 1, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline thy ear unto me and save me. Sounds like David's in trouble. Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. You see, verses 1 to 3, he ends it by saying, This is why, because you are my rock and my fortress. Hide thou me, O rock of ages. Hide thou me. God, I want to see your glory. 
Moses so boldly asked of God. He said, okay, but I can't show you everything. I can only show you my backside. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. You know who that rock was? See, even back then it was, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father. You can't see me. You can't even see my goodness without the rock. <laughs> oh, what a glorious picture of Christ. Gushing from the rock before me, lowest spring of joy I see. Beloved, the divine comforts and exhortation Christ gives us in this 16th chapter of Matthew, though they should comfort and encourage every true believer personally. Listen to me, personally. They are intended for the entire church of Christ as a whole. Listen to me, as a whole, to rejoice and praise God together. Let me tell you something. In the eyes of God, the church is something particular. Each and every one of us have a personal, intimate relationship with Christ we should have. And I'm telling you, you better, <laughs> you better exercise yourself in that. You better use that. Stop. Stop what you're doing. The world's not that important. Stop what you're doing. Find time. Get alone with God. Get along with Scripture. Meditate on it. Think about God. Those times are important. But when you come to the house of God, I'm telling you, God does something miraculous when God's people gather together. God enjoys when the saints of God are gathered together. These people that are separating them from the church are doing themselves no spiritual good at all. God intends for the church to rejoice in this together. And that brings God the greatest glory. God loveth the gates of Zion. Do we love the gates of Zion? Oh, how I love thy church, O oh God, O oh Lord. I love thy church. Why? Because Christ died for it. Again, I emphasize that. Christ died for the church. You say, well, Christ died for me. Yes, individually he did. He died for us. He died for us while we were yet sinners. But he died for the church. And he gave his life for what? The church. It means something to him. Should it not mean something to us? Why can't we put away the petty differences that we have that amount to nothing when we stand before God and we're asked, why did we have such schisms, divisions? And it's go, well, because he didn't really believe in the same translation I did or they didn't really uh, have this or they didn't do that. And God's going to go, was that really that significant? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not encouraging other translations. I'm simply saying, you better, when you stand before God, you better, you should weigh, <laughs> you should weigh while you're having differences with brothers and sisters. It, is it really, really that significant to where you cannot fellowship at all? Maybe some way, somehow, in the converse of time and fellowship, you can persuade them to see. Isn't that what we're supposed to do anyway? In meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves that they, they, they might come to the knowledge of the truth? Isn't, isn't that what it is? It's God's church. Again, I emphasize, I'm not encouraging ecumenicalism. I'm not encouraging using other translations. I'm not encouraging false doctrine and heresies. I'm not encouraging that at all. 
I'm simply saying Christ is the one that builds his church. You know, we'll look at the last two points next week. He builds it, not we do. And it's his church. I like that. It's his church. It's his. By right of sovereign redemption, it's his. I'm his. My beloved is mine, and I am his. I'm his. Peculiar treasure. Upon this rock, upon this rock, Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What a blessing. What a comfort. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that, Lord, you'd help us in this day and age when it seems as though there's no glories to be spoken of in thy church. When we look at the church and we see all the divisions and schisms and we see all the problems, Lord, we know they're there and it grieves our heart. Father, we pray that, Lord, you'd help us to be reminded of your exhortation this morning, that, Lord, you're the one that builds the church. It's your church. Lord, you'll preserve it and you'll keep it. Lord, you'll save it. Lord, I pray that, Lord, we'd help we'd be reminded that, Lord, our help comes from Thee. Help us, Lord God, to be reminded that we're built on the rock. That's You. And, Lord, when we find ourselves discouraged, when we look upon the world, even the church, and, Lord, we see things happening that, Lord, breaks our hearts, help us, Lord, to go back to this passage of Scripture and remind ourselves that You're building this upon a rock, which is You. It's Your church. And Lord, I pray that, Father, we find comfort in that. And Lord, that You'd encourage us to go out. And Lord, imitate you in love and patience and meekness and long-suffering. Help us, dear God, we pray, that we might glorify thy name. Help us to love the gates of Zion. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your prayers.